0: We are Center Point Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. My name's Chris and I get the privilege of uh, leading the church here and uh, being with you guys each week, during the week, um, in all that we get up to. And so it's always good to gather together on a Sunday morning. This morning we're going to be in Joshua and we're going to be in 13 chapters of Joshua, the last 13 chapters. So I hope you've got the rest of the day booked out um, because we're going to be here for a while and no, I'm joking, we we won't, I'll I'll be respectful to your time. But um, we are going to be in the last 13 chapters and we're going to flick through them and so it'd be really helpful for you to have a Bible either on an electronic device or in front of you and... um, If you haven't got one with you, then if you stick your hand up, then one of our team will come and bring you to one into your seat. And uh, it might just be that your hand's up because you don't own a Bible. And if that is the case, then you can keep this one. You can have it as a free gift from us. It will bless you and do you good. So um, we have arrived at the end of our series in Joshua. Hey, and I I hope that you've enjoyed it and that it's been speaking to you and doing you good and encouraging you and inspiring you in your your journey uh, of faith and in our journey as a church, I I believe that it's been speaking to us in lots of different ways and that as we step into the new year, God is going to be calling us to take courageous steps of faith like, um, like Joshua has been encouraged to and to walk into all the promise of God. In case you've missed any of the series so far, I'm just going to remind you of a few bits. The people of God, they were called the Israelites and they were called the Israelites because a guy called Jacob, he wrestled with God and God gave him a new name called Israel and um, Jacob or Israel had 12 sons and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of the Israelites hence the name. And they were enslaved in Egypt by a guy called Pharaoh. And Moses was called by God to go and deliver them out of Pharaoh's hand. And he said, went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And there's all the 10 plagues. And they crossed over the Red Sea. And as they got into, as they got out of Egypt and crossed over the Red Sea into nearby the promised land, Joshua sent 12 spies into the land to check it all out, to make a survey of what was going on. And, um, ten of the guys came back and saw this group of people called the Anakites, which were like real big kind of people. Um, Goliath was a descendant of them. And those ten came back in fear. They were like, hey, this is too much. We, let's not press on. Two guys came back and said, yeah, they are big, but God is for us and he's called us into this place and so we should press on. But the leaders at the time, they listened to the ten and they then ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. The whole generation, apart from those two guys, Joshua and Caleb, died during those 40 years. And then God called Joshua to then lead the people, lead the group of Israelites into the promises of God, into the promised land, hence our series title, Walking in the Promises of God. And as they go in, we see how they're called to take steps of faith, as wherever they place their feet God will give them the land that he will go with them how they need to trust in him how they need to be filled with God's spirit his courage and boldness to press on how knowing that God's goodness is for others and not just themselves and so we see redemption stories of people like Rahab and the Gibeonites coming into the people of God even though they were part of the enemy that they were called to take out and drive out of the land the people living in the land had had years and years, 400 years, to repent and turn to God. And they just hadn't. And these group of people, they were horrendous. They got involved in all sorts of different things, like child sacrifice and all sorts of, like, pagan worship. And it was detestable to God and all the people around. And so God came to bring judgment on that people by driving them out. And the book of Joshua explains to us and shows us how they do that. Along the way, the Israelites who are called to do this get it right in lots of ways. And they take time to stop and remember the covenant before God and renew their promises and say, yes, God, we will trust you. They also get it wrong in some ways. And they put their trust in like material possessions and they, they forget to seek the Lord before they press on ahead. And we see them get it spectacularly right and wrong. And whenever they get it wrong, it's because they haven't trusted in God. Trusting in God and being obedient to him seems to be a key thing. And so as we get to the end of the book, I want to ask this question, and that is this. Who will you serve? When you think about your life, when you think about all the things that your life is built around, will you serve your own needs, your own ego, your own empire, or will you serve God? Will you find security in your own possessions, in your own understanding, in your own wisdom, or in God's? Will your purpose in life be determined by the cultural values or the cultural goals, the cultural ways around you, or God's? Who will you serve? So it's a a deep question that hits to the heart of every single area of life, the way you do your relationships, the way you do your finance, the way you do your your marriage if you're anyone, the way you do your singleness if you're single, the way that you, you do your community, the way you do your work, the way you encounter other people, the way you drive, it impacts every single area. And the question is who you serve. The reason why I ask this question is because this is the very question that... Joshua asks his people at the end. That's where we're getting to. And I wonder, have you ever watched a film for, like, a second time? And when you watch it, the second... Thing, films like... I watch a lot of kids' films, Frozen, Sing, you know, stuff like that. Disney films, um, because of my kids. And... Once I've watched it through the first time, when I watch it through the second time, as you then go through the second time, you you pick up all these clues that tell you the end of the story, but you kind of don't pick them up the first time round. And to be honest, maybe six months ago, when I read through the book of Joshua and felt that this was the right book for us as a church to go through, I got to these last 12 chapters and I just kind of skimmed read through it. And I thought, oh, great, we'll do that all in one sermon. I made a big error. (laughs) Because there is so much in there. And as I I got to it, when I read it through it the first time, I was thinking, great, this is like a triumphant story. They've done all the battle. All the battles have been won. And now it's all about divvying up the land. And God giving them their inheritance. And this is your inheritance. This is your inheritance. And this should be a great high moment. This is like amazing how God is coming through. And this is the triumph at the end. And we can go out on a big bang. And we're going to go and serve our community. And this is going to be the way to press into it. And then I read it again, and I was like, oh, flip. I'm not sure that these last 13 chapters were what I first thought. And and I think that there are clues all the way through it that lead us to this question that Moses asks. Who will you serve? Who will you choose? Because the reality is, is that after Joshua, you get into Judges... And it's chaos. And it's not that there's, it's high, 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 and then chaos in Judges. Actually, we get pointers to it all throughout these last 12 chapters. And so I just want to ask that question one more time. Who will you serve? It will impact everything. So let's start to flick through. Chapter 12, um, verses 1 to 6. Joshua takes the time to recount the cities that Moses took before they entered the land. And so here's like a, a map here on the right. And I don't know if you can see that, but this is the east of the Jordan. So there's the Jordan. All of this is the promised land. And these, this is where here, they crossed around here into the promised land. And they took Jericho. That was one of the first cities they took. And all of this bit here, this is what Moses took. When Moses left with the Israelites and they came out of Egypt, this whole region is what Moses took. And so Joshua chapter 12 just takes, the first six verses takes the moment to remind us of these areas that Moses took. And when Moses took them right back then, there was uh, a couple of tribes, the Reubenites and the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, who looked at this land and they said, hey Moses look we know that you've got this promised land for us but we'd really love it if like we could have this bit of land on the east side of the Jordan and uh, they did a deal and Moses said okay you can have it but first you need to come with all the people of God and you need to step into the promised land send your best fighting men and help us conquer the promised land once we've done that you can then go back and uh you know what they—they do—they're true to the promise. Although they don't send all their best fighting men, they send about a third, um, which I just think is interesting. They had all the good intentions, but they only ended up sending them about a third to help them fight. And they—but they do um, th- throughout. We'll find they do end up going back and residing in this part of the land. And then the, the the left-hand side. This is all the promised land that is. Then we will find out is being distributed. And so as you. So the rest of chapter twelve is a list of all the kings that they defeated in the promised land. So as as they cross over into here, chapter twelve is a list of all the kings that they defeat, and so and he he lists them all, and it's like the king of Jericho one, the king of Ai one, the king of Jerusalem one, the king of Hebron one, the king of Jarmuth one, and so on, and a bunch of these kings. We this is the first time we're really hearing about them. And um, we know some of them, and that is, the book has gone into great detail. But there was there was many conquests that the Israelites did. And so, as you step into chapter thirteen, I'm just going to read a few verses. It says this: When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, "You're now very old, and there are, thanks God, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains." All in all the regions, and he lists a bunch of land. And it says this in verse 6 of chapter 13. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions, from Lebanon to Mizrepoth, Ma'am, and all the Sidonians I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. But be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine and a half tribes, the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. And so, um, just to pause there. um, So, the two and a half tribes, they've they've got a portion in that land. And we know that the nine and a half are going to get given this land. And... The reality, though, is that they, although they've conquered these 31 major cities and although they, although they kind of hold the power in all the region, there is still Canaanites and Hittites and Jebusites living in the land. There are places they're living in and Joshua is encouraged by, by God and encourage, is encouraged by God to, even though it's still enemy-occupied in some places, he's encouraged by God to still apportion the land to the different tribes and to kind of prophetically say, no, although, yes, we haven't quite driven them all out, but I'm going to encourage you to take some of these bits of land anyway, to mark it out as yours, and because there is still more for them to do. And uh, when those tribes go into those lands, yeah, they'll, they'll need to drive them out, but effectively, I've, the, the power play in the region is yours, you've got it, but there are still people in the land, and that's kind of like our first oh. Oh, maybe it's not quite this triumphalistic moment as we've first seen. That yes, they've they've taken the land, it's theirs, but there is still more to do. It's like God is saying that the the, the church can go so far and take over a whole area and do much, but there's still jobs for individuals to do. There's still things for, for you to do that your your faith can't be reliant on. The leaders of the church's faith. That us pressing forward in the people of God includes you pressing into the area of land that you've been given in that workplace or in that home of your children and in that baby group or toddler group in in that university. There is land for you to take where you are in the portion that God has given you. Do you know where you live, where you work right now is not a surprise to God? He intended you to be there. And where you are right now, he calls you to go and take that land. And yes, so there are many churches in Guildford, but there is still much land to be taken. There's much lives to be won for Jesus, there's much to be done. Um, Yeah, and so the rest of chapter 13 is how they allotted the land east of the Jordan, the land that Moses conquered, to those two and a half tribes. And I'm just going to give you permission, because I'm going to go into a little bit of detail for about 30 seconds that if you find Israelite history boring you're allowed to switch off for 30 seconds I'm going to call you back in 30 seconds time all right if you are interested listen in so we all know there's 12 tribes don't we no there's not there's not actually 12 tribes well there is. But Joseph's tribe, so Jacob, Israel, he had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. But when Jacob went to bless Joseph, he didn't bless Joseph. He blessed Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim and Manasseh get given their own tribes. And so there's actually 13 tribes um, because Ephraim and Manasseh kind of take take over Joseph. And so you've got these 13 tribes and... Um, Yeah, each of them are kind of from from, uh, Jacob, and he gives, like, Joseph this double blessing. But what's kind of a bit more complicated is that Manasseh splits into half, and so you've got Manasseh in the purple on both sides of the River Jordan. And so Manasseh kind of get two, two, like, bits of land. And so you can... Oh, so that's now suddenly 14 bits of land. But it's not quite that, because the Levites... Who, um, a guy called Levi, when earlier on in the Old Testament he killed someone, and um, God said to, on him and on his people that he would never be able to have a portion of the land. But he was really repentant, and so he came back to God, and, and he ended up worshipping before God, and it, it was shown that he was like a, God, a man after God's own heart, that, that he, not, not David, but, uh, you know, similar, and that he was then given the opportunity to worship in, before the Lord all his days. And so the Levi became the Levites, and so the Levites don't get a portion of the land. Instead, what they'll get is they'll get some cities dotted around the land, and, because they're the ones that are going to serve before the altar of God. And and help bring um, all the sacrifices and help to lead through the festivals and so on. And so, yeah, and so in terms of Israel, in terms of a portion of land, you might count up and think, hold on, that doesn't add up to 12. Well, you're right, and because Manasseh gets two, Lev- Levites don't get any at all, and um, yeah, and Manasseh and Ephraim are really kind of one because they're all from Joseph. Right, if you switch it off, back in the room. We're going to crack on chapters... So, The reason why I mention that is because the first bit of chapter 14, it kind of talks about the division of the land. And in the first bit of chapter 14, it says that, Now these are the areas of the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans allotted to them. Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, as the Lord had commanded through Moses... Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the the Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For Joseph's descendants had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. And what happens is that as we then press into chapter 14, there's uh, a bit about Caleb, which we're going to come back to uh, in in a little bit. And throughout chapters 15, 16, 17, 18 and 19 is basically, this is why you can read through it and just think, oh yeah, it's this town and that time and this is the border and they allot this land and allot that land. And what happens is that Joshua goes through and they give, they ascribe to each of the Israelites this, their own land. And what we see though, at first glance, that it, we can see that it's just boundaries and cities But throughout the distribution, it's interrupted with some stories. And there's two key things I want to pick out. There's a remarkable stories of disobedience. And then there's remarkable stories of faith and obedience. And I believe that Joshua, as he wrote this, he wants to highlight them both because they're just not there for random reasons. And so as you step into chapter 13... Um, It says, so remarkable disobedience. In chapter 13, um, verse... 13, it says this, "'But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Gesheh and Makkah, "'so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day.'" In Joshua 15, it says, "'Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites "'who were living in Jerusalem to this day. "'The Jebusites lived there with the people of Judah.'" And in Joshua 17, it says, "'Yet the Manasites were not able to occupy these towns, "'for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. "'However, when the Israelites grew stronger, "'they subjected the Canaanites to forced labour, "'but did not drive them out completely.'" Over and over again, throughout these lists of how God gave them this land, and God gave them this land, and God gave them this city, it ends these lists by saying, but they didn't drive them all out. But they let them live. But they were, these guys were, um, what's the the word? Um, They were determined to live in that region. And I just wonder... These tribes, they were told to drive out the people. They were trolled to get out there. But I, I don't reckon the people of Jericho or the people of Ai weren't determined to... They weren't, like, lying down and saying, yeah, come and, like, slaughter us and take our land. They weren't doing that. And yet, these guys come up with these excuses and they say, oh, yeah, but we can't take them out, really. I can't press into that area because, well, these, this is their area. They, they want to live there. And they start coming up with these excuses. And the worst one is in chapter 17, verse 14 to 18. And this is from uh, Manasseh. And it says this in verse 17 from Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, it says in verse, four, verse 14, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, so that's Ephraim and Manasseh, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. These people, Ephraim and Manasseh, they are moaning at Joshua and saying, look, we need more land. Can you go and can you drive out some more people to give us more land? Because we, we are really numerous and we need more land. And I just think the irony of this is, is ridiculous because first of all, they have already got... Um, two lots of land. Manasseh has got, is split in half and so they've got two lots of land either side of the Jordan and Ephraim have also g- been given their own land and so God has been more gracious to this one tribe of the, this family of Joseph than to any others because they've got three for the price of one and they've got three bits of land and, and so they're now coming, oh well we, we, we're lots of people, we need more land. It's like, well, what are you talking about? You've got everything you need. In fact, you've got more than everyone else. God has been more generous to them and do you know what? It's discontentment always works out like this, where it never stops to thank God for what we already have, but just to moan about what we don't have. And so he carries on and Joshua, he's he's like having none of it. And in verse 15, he says, If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, well, why don't you go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves? They're in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephites. These are the people that God has said you can go and take over. Joshua call, calls them out on the, on the lie that they don't have enough. And he says, come on then, if, you, if you're numerous, why don't you go and take out that bit of land? God has given us this land to get on with the mission, is what Joshua is saying. But do you know what? It's so easy for us to do, the same, to do the same. And we can fool ourselves into making all sorts of excuses for not pressing into the things that God has promised us. If only I was part of a bigger church then there'll be more people to serve and more people to do that and more people to do X, Y and Z. If only I lived in an easier community to reach, then it'll be easier. And if only my workplace was a bit different and those people weren't so cut off. If only my course mates showed any kind of interest in what I do, then it might be easier for me to do this. If only I had family, if only I didn't have family, if only I had this, if only I had that. Joshua insists that the problem is not external, but it's internal. And it's a matter of the heart. Are we brave enough? Proverbs 12, verse 11 says this, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies are full of poverty. It's like, it's so easy in our lives to live in a kind of fantasy bubble, to come up with all the reasons why we can't press on to the things that God has called us to, to look at our circumstances and think, well, I can't can't share the gospel in my workplace because of this, or I can't share it with my neighbours because of this, and I can't tell my friends because of this. And I believe Joshua wants to call it out. and say, well, come on, what are you talking about? God's put you in the place where you're meant to be. And the Manasites, they carry on with the excuses. And they say, yeah, the people of Joseph, so the Ephraim and the Manasites, they say the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain, they've got chariots fitted with iron. So they're like, oh, I can't possibly go there because of the chariots and the iron. And both those in Bethshan and it's in the settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel." And Joshua just must be going mental. It's like, what are you talking about? Just like last week, we heard about how God can overcome chariots and horses and things like that, and now you're saying that this is going to stop you. And also, think about it. He is calling them to take hill country, forest land. And you know what? In the forest, that's exactly where chariots and horses are useless, where they can't, they can't do anything against them. And so the place where Joshua is ordering them to conquer is the place where they're safest from their biggest fears. But the, dev, the devil's deceptions always like, work like this and they rarely make sense. They always work like, oh, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? Yeah, but, yeah, but what about it? And Joshua's like, come on. God encouraged us to get on with the Great Commission and he's called us to. Satan encouraged us to wait until there's a better moment or a better opportunity. Needless to say, that, that opportunity is always in the future. It's never now, is it? And Jesus says, come on, repent, be baptised. Come on, go. All authority has been given to you from me. Get on. Start where you are right now. Start telling people about Jesus. Start taking the land. Start living in the promises of God. And Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, so he comes back to them, takes a deep breath, you are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. So clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites might have chariots fitted with iron, though they are strong, come on, you can do it. You can drive them out. And so we see this kind of remarkable disobedience happening throughout the, just throughout this, these passages of them giving the land. There's all this disobedience and... But in the face of it, there's also amazing events. God is breaking through. And the reality, though, is, and I've mentioned already, that they can't rely on Joshua's faith. They need to have their their own. They need to learn to trust in God for themselves. And so the the question is this, who will you serve? Are you going to serve your own ego or are you going to serve God? Are you going to get on and do what he's called you to? And the truth is that they were content with far less than what God had promised. They were. They, they were just content with less. They were like, oh, well, no, this will do. Let's, let's not. All, all the reasons why they didn't want to drive out the different groups um, is because, well, let's just make them slaves instead. Let's just bring them in. They can just be like, our oh, labourers. You know, they'll be all right. And they just make compromise after compromise after compromise. And, they, you know, in, throughout the passages that I mentioned earlier, they just stopped working and stopped pressing on into all the things that God called them to. Called them to. Um, 12 years ago, I think, maybe 11 years ago, Catherine and I had an amazing honeymoon. And um, it was great... We went to the Caribbean, to the Dominican Republic, and we had this all-inclusive hotel. It's like like the only time in our lives we've ever done something like this. And it was just amazing. Food whenever you want, you could swim in the pool, and at the edge of the pool you could swim up to the bar and sit on the seats underneath the pool and you could sit. you get drinks from the bar and sit and then carry on swimming. At two o'clock in the morning, you could go and order burgers and chips. Like, you could just be on the beach and it would be open all night. You could, it was unlimited food, unlimited everything you wanted. It was amazing. And um, I just want to ask you this question. Imagine, though, getting ready for that holiday. Packing your bags, getting your swimsuit in there, getting everything ready, all your towels, everything you need, um, your camera, you've got it all. You get in in the taxi, you get to the airport, and you're sitting, the flights are being called, and you're sitting in the departure lounge going, oh, this is lovely. Oh, this is great. This is what I imagined. You watch the planes take off and come back and take off and come back and and you sit there. And then after two weeks, you get back in the taxi and drive home. You've missed out on an amazing adventure with God. You know, coming to church each week, singing the songs, but not taking steps of faith is as depressing as sitting in the departure lounge of the airport for two weeks and not going on the adventure of a lifetime on an amazing holiday And, yeah, there's all sorts of, when when you go to the airport, there's all sorts of different adventures that God wants to take you on. And you know what? Being a Christian sometimes can be like coming into the departure lounge of forgiveness and knowing that we're forgiven by God. And that is great and that is good. But there are so many more adventures that God wants to take you on, adventures of faith, adventures of knowing your identity, adventures of purpose and all sorts of different adventures that he wants to call you on. And there's different territories to, to get into and to know if only you would take a step. If only you'd step out of the lounge and onto the plane. And yet it's hard. Let's not be content with the status quo. Here's some remarkable stories of faith. There's a guy called Caleb. Remember Caleb? He was one of the two spies. He's kind of like not mentioned in the whole story. But I'm gonna let me read a few verses from chapter 14. It says this: chapter 14, verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, "You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to explore the land. You know, as a spy, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink." I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised to me me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me and he will help me drive out them just as he said then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And um, Hebron, it says, Hebron used to be called um, Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. In the midst of preparing a lot of land, we are reminded of this unsung hero, Caleb. He, you know, Joshua's got the book. Joshua's got the series title. Joshua's renowned for the military statu- um, strategies. But throughout the whole of this book, Caleb has been there, faithful and mighty. And now he's 85 years old. And in the midst of the, new, the just the numerous number of Ephraim and Manasseh, these people who are too scared to drive out those in the land, here we have an 85-year-old who... He first saw the Anakites 45 years ago and now he sees them again and he's saying, hey, if I'm going to have any land, I want that land. I want the land where the Anakites are. I'm going to go there. And so what we get is we get Caleb full of faith and he he has faith that God is even greater. And he saw when the 10 spies came back and they were too scared. And so now we get him just as full of faith in his 80s as he was in his 40s. And he knows that the Lord is able to help him. He knows that he can do it. So even in his old age, he's able to be strong and courageous. And he's, he truly believes, and I truly believe, that if you're not dead, then you're not done. That God has got greater things for you ahead. That there is much for you to look forward to. Because it's so easy for us to, to look back. I, I find it now. And I'm sure that as I get older and older, it'd be easy for me to look back and think back of all those times where God did stuff in my life and to kind of think, well, now I just need to settle. And do you know what? Caleb could have done that. He could have looked back on when uh, Moses and God had all these plays come in. He could have looked back at crossing over the Red Sea. He could have looked back at seeing manna come down from heaven. He could have looked back and thought, oh, that was in the past. Now I'm 85. I just need to sit down, put my feet up and relax. No, instead, he, he doesn't do any of that. He, he is disappointed that he hasn't seen Anakite's destroyed yet. And so he invites us to ask ourselves, are we living in the past? Or are we in faith that God is able to use us now to press on to the things ahead? Throughout this book, he has had very little mention and it's easy to kind of, desire, accreditation from other men. But Caleb, he is this like kind of unsung hero who he just recognises that his recognition comes from the Lord. And yeah, sure, he, he might not have the book title, he might not have the series, he might not have the DVDs, but he knows that he serves an audience of one, which is God. And so the challenge is for us, I guess for people like myself who stand up and sometimes receive praise, is to remember that I don't. my job is not to receive praise from you. Actually, it's to receive praise from God. And for those who don't receive any praise and yet serve faithfully throughout our church, which I know many of you do, you need to remember, hey, just because you don't receive praise from men, hey, you will receive it from God. And this is a wonderful picture of how Caleb, who has been serving diligently by Joshua's side, and he's been there in the prayer meetings, he's been there in the setup teams, he's been there and, he's, and now he comes before the Lord and, and he's like, hey, there's still more to do. He, he's not content with um, seeing uh, these Anakites residing in this land. And so Ephraim and Manasseh, they can mess around, but hey, Caleb, I'm pressing on with all the things that God's called us to. He's an unsung hero. What about Axar? It would be easy to go through the whole book of Joshua and think that this is all about men, that men are the ones that are called to walk in the promises of God, You know, the only woman that's appeared so far, really, is Rahab, who's a prostitute, who's a mighty woman of faith. Amazing, who's you know, recommended in Hebrews as a wonderful woman of faith. But nonetheless, there hasn't been much more. And now, in chapter 15, we're introduced to Aksar. And it says this, that from Hebron, Caleb, because Aksar's Caleb's daughter. Caleb, he drove out the Anakites... And from there, he marched against the people living in Debir. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksar in marriage to the man who attacks and captures uh, a town called Kirith Sefer. So it doesn't sound much greater now as we get this mighty man of faith basically auctioning off his daughter to, in the battlefield. But it does get better. Othniel, son of Kanaz, Caleb's brother, he takes up this challenge. And so Caleb gives his daughter Aksar to him in marriage. And uh, one day she goes to Othniel. Othniel was the first judge in the book of Judges. And so, he, he, you know, he turns out being a mighty man of God, but right now he's not. Othniel, apart from he, you know, he takes up this challenge. She goes to him and she says, she urges him, hey, can you go and ask my father for fields? Can you go and ask him for more land? Can, I want us to walk in the promises of God. I want us to be people who, who are pressing on the front foot and walking into all the things God, 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 God's got for us. Othniel basically doesn't, he doesn't see the urgency and he doesn't do anything. And so um, she, Aksar, decides, you know what, I'm not going to be just content and just not doing anything. And then she goes to her dad, Caleb, and he, he asks her, he said, he, she says this, can you do me a special favour? Since you've given me land in the Negev, can you also give me springs of water? Can you give me more? I want to go and I want to be part of the people of God who are pressing in and pressing out the Anakites and driving in the land. And so... Caleb gives her these upper springs. It's just a short couple of verses, but it's remarkable how walking in the promises of God is for men and women alike to take hold of all that God's got for us and to press into what he's doing. And do you know, sometimes men are wimps and sometimes they don't press out. And do you know what? That doesn't mean that we should hold back our women. Actually, we should be encouraging both of us to be pressing on in the things of God. And I want to give permission for any women here today who feels in some way held back by the church to come and speak to me about how they've how they want to press into what God's got for them because I I believe that actually leadership is a gift that is given to men and women alike when we see that here and we see it throughout the whole bible in fact um, the new testament puts it like this it says so in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have been clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are heirs according to the promise. There's another group of women, these uh, five here, who basically, because they are women, are not given any land, and so they they go and they go to Joshua. And they say to Joshua, hey, uh, well, actually, their dad does. And he says, hey, look, I've got no sons. Therefore, at the moment, I've got no inheritance. And Joshua, remembering words that Moses had promised ages ago, actually ends up not just giving them a bit of the land around them, but actually turns this clan from six into ten clans and gives these five women each of their own clans. He gives them an inheritance. And it's a wonderful picture of the future where what in Galatians, Paul is talking about here, how there's no male or female, that in God there is an inheritance to be received by all people who come to faith in him. There is much to press on in Christ. And so we clothe ourselves with Christ. And we are, when it says we are all sons, it, what it means is that we all come into the inheritance. We all come into the promises. So the NIV translated, we are all children of God. And that's true because that's what we are. And so walk, I, I know time is running short and so we're going to start to wrap up. Walking in the promises of God is for all ages, Caleb 85 and the younger guys. It's for all genders. It's for all who will trust in God. And so the question again is whom will you serve? It's for all who will lay aside those, their own ego, their own, the cultural ways, the cultural goals, the cultural values and say, God, I'm going to come to you. Throughout the, the next few chapters, you, there's a bit more um, laying forth of the land. And as we get into chapter 22, there's these verses that I just want to read out. Maybe the band can start to come up as I do. It says, now that the Lord your God has given them rest, as he promised, Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you. This is, he, he sends off the, the two and a half tribes. And Joshua, he then gathers all the leaders, and he has these final words to the leaders, and he says this, Be very strong, but be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. There's these words of being obedient, being strong, being courageous, sticking to the Bible, to the word of God, to the law of Moses. And as he wraps up, he then gathers the whole nation. So he speaks to the leaders and says, you need to do this and you need to be an example. And then he gathers all of the Israelites and he says this. Now fear the Lord and serve him, I'll put it up in here, with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites who are in the land now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe that God is calling us today. He's been calling us throughout this series to choose. Whom will you serve? Will you be a people that see the gods of our culture, the gods of comfort, the gods of materialism, the gods of consumerism, the gods of apathy, or will you, and, and follow them? Or will you be people that take hold of the promises of God They say, I'm going to step into his promises wholeheartedly. I'm going to board the plane. I'm going to get on that flight and see all that God might do. The people of Joshua, they respond and say, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. What about you? That's what they say. He says this. On that very day when they did that, Joshua made a covenant with the people. There at Shechem, he reaffirmed all the decrees, all the lords. And what he then did was he picked up a stone and he got some stones. It's the last of our memorial stones. And he said, this stone will be a witness against us, that it has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people each to their own inheritance. I said right at the beginning that this isn't quite the end, the triumphalistic, like, rah, let's go. This is like a deep moment. This is who will you put as the source of all your security? Who will you put as the source of all your strength? Whom will you serve? Whom will you allow to affect the way you live, the way you talk, the way you do relationships, the way you do your workplace, the way you do every single area of life? Will it be God or will it be the gods of the people around you, the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of Guildford, the gods of the UK? Who will it be? I just felt that there's a moment today to recommit ourselves as a church before God. And so I've, I've got a bunch of these stones and they're in buckets one down here and one down there and what I'd like us to do is I want to come into worship and as we worship I, I want to encourage you only if this is something for you that if today is a day where you want to choose God I will serve you I will live my life for you I will put you first in every single area of my life it's not an easy prayer it's not an easy promise But if you want to do that, then I want to invite you during our worship time to come out in your own time to get a stone, to go back to your seat and just spend some time praying by yourself. There'll be worship going on. This isn't about what your person to your left or to your right does. This is between you and God. There's a moment here between God and each individual Israelite where they need to choose. Are we going to be the people that make excuses like Ephraim and Manasseh, are we going to be people that just don't press on, that that sit in the airport? Or are we going to be people that grab hold of the promises of God, of all the things that he's entrusting to us, that grab hold of Jesus and say, yes Lord, I'm with you and I trust you and I want to commit my life to you again and I want to run with you of all the ways you told me to. It's up to you. this is not easy and I don't want you to take it lightly and so do you know what I would totally understand if no one came forward because it's a big thing to commit your whole life to Jesus every single area but I believe it's a step that every single person in this room it'll be the best thing you ever did because living in the centre of God's grace in Jesus' palms is the very best place to be It's the best place to abide. There is no other place. So come on, let's stand. I'm just gonna pray and then we're just gonna give over the to worship and you know what you to do. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this book, Lord I thank you for how you've been teaching us Lord God throughout this whole series, taking steps of faith, stepping out on you, Lord God we see throughout this whole book it all comes down to will we trust in you will we be obedient to you will we take steps to follow you and be with you and I thank you Lord God it's a prophetic picture of the future, of all that Jesus has done as he comes and he says I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will fill you with my Holy Spirit and I'll give you all power and authority to go to go into the world to be light in the darkness to to be good news to the poor to unbind the brokenhearted and to cut the chains free and I pray heavenly father today Would you help us to be people, mighty of faith, like Caleb, strong and courageous, like Axel, willing to press into wherever we are, willing to be people of faith, willing to be people who aren't going to sit around making excuses and waiting for tomorrow, but are going to press into you today. So I pray, Lord God, give us faith, faithful, Lord God, for what you've called us to, as a people, as individuals, as your church in the world, to take the good news to all those around us heavenly night Amen Thanks for listening Please do come and visit us Sundays 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford We look forward to seeing you